Sign up today for a new William Hill Nevada Mobile Sports account and you can earn a $50 bonus on top of your original $50 or more deposit using promo code GET50. That's promo code GET50. The William Hill Nevada Mobile Sports app allows you to bet on the go from any iPhone, iPad, or Android device from anywhere in Nevada. Sign up today and you'll never miss another bet. With the largest wagering menu, the Mobile Sports app features live in-play betting on football, basketball, baseball, hockey, soccer, and tennis. For more information, visit williamhill.us. William Hill is a proud partner of the Vegas Golden Knights. Ron Burgundy here here with a quick reminder for why it's a good idea to always wear your seatbelt. I've thrown away a lot of money in my life on pretty dumb things. I bought a hippopotamus once. I bargained the guy down from $10,000 to $800. Of course, it's possible he never owned a hippo in the first place. So I know what it's like to stupidly throw money away, which is what you're risking every time you don't wear your seatbelt. Wear your gosh darn seatbelts, folks. And tune in to Season 4 of the Ron Burgundy Podcast on June 3rd. Paid for by NHTSA. I'm attorney Paul Powell. If you get hurt in a crash, did you know your lawyer can take more money than you? That's right. You get hurt and the lawyer gets rich. Not very fair, is it? When you hire me, those worries go bye, bye, bye. I promise never to take more money than you. And I put it in writing. If you're tired of greedy lawyers, call 728-5500 or go to paulpowell.com. I really can help. Paul Powell. More lawyer, less fee. Some restrictions apply. The Boston Red Sox take on the Houston Astros Monday at 1230 on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM, KWWN, Las Vegas. In the morning, when you need the news that matters most. We have a constitutional right to publish this story. We are the fourth estate and we will hold the powerful accountable. You need the front page. Wait, what's the fourth estate? Us, the press. And everyone knows that? On the press box. Because I feel like people always say the fourth estate, but they don't actually know what it means. I think everybody knows what it means. I thought the fourth estate was time. That's the fourth dimension. I thought the fourth estate was Georgia. With Graney and Bischoff. No, not state, a state. You thought I was saying we're the state of Georgia? So Aaron Rodgers is not showing up for OTAs with the Packers. He was also on with Kenny Mayne last night, Kenny Mayne's last sports center. And he had this to say. It never been about the draft pick, uh, picking Jordan. I love Jordan. He's a great kid. Um, you know, he, he a lot of fun to, to work together. Uh, I love coaching staff, love my teammates, you know, love the fan base in Green Bay. It's incredible, incredible 16 years. It's just kind of about a, a, a philosophy, uh, you know, and, and maybe forgetting that it is about the people that make the thing go. It's about it's about character. It's about culture. It's about doing things the right way. And a lot of this was put in motion last year, and uh, the wrench was just kind of thrown into it when I won MVP and played uh, the way I played last year. So this is just kind of, I think, uh, the, the spill out of all that. But So Aaron Rodgers says it's not about the draft pick but then criticizes the philosophy and that it was put into motion last year and he threw a wrench into it when he won MVP because he's implying that the Packers' plan was to move on from him and go to Jordan Love, which would mean this is all about the draft pick, isn't it? Like, what else is he talking about? It's not about the draft pick. It's about how they handled it. It's That's why the quote is super specific, right? He starts by saying it's not about the draft pick. Then he follows up by saying, picking Jordan. 
I don't think he has any problem with Green Bay looking at a succession plan. I think he has a problem with Brian Gutekunst, the GM, never communicating anything about that to him, right? You wouldn't have any problem about someone being brought in with the idea that you weren't going to be there in two years if they said, hey, look, we know you're not done yet, but we also know you can't play forever and we just want to be prepared. Like, if you were in that case, then you'd be fine. And so, you know, he ends up doing uh, addition by subtraction by adding Gutekunst in here. Yep, I love the coaching staff. Yeah. Check. Love my teammates. Check. Love the fans. Check. Whoa, who didn't he mention? It's just, I, I can understand the idea that Aaron Rodgers is, has been the face of the Packers for over a decade and that, yes, the Packers should consult him more. I just... I, I don't understand how it could be blown up this much if he is truly, in fact, if he would have been okay with them taking a quarterback if they had simply told him. Like, that's the part of it. It's like, really? Like, that's what's annoying you? Isn't that they took it? It's that they just didn't tell you they were going to take Jordan Love? Like, I don't know. That, to me, just seems like it, the most petty way you could go about this. It certainly doesn't say everything was great before then, but it certainly makes it clear that this team, in Aaron Rodgers' estimation, has been bothering him for a long time. And so did he come out and say, this team has never drafted me a first first round wide receiver, right? Like that basically I have Devontae Adams and nothing else. No, they, uh, he didn't come out and say that, but it certainly suggests he's been, uh, you know, someone who's had a problem with that for a long time. So when he says the wrench was just kind of thrown into it when I won MVP and played the way I played last year, he makes it as clear as day that this was a revenge tour. And now, because of the fact that he went on this revenge tour, he's saying the wrench is thrown into it because you know what? Now you, who forgot about treating people the way I want to be treated, you are stuck because you thought you could just move on from me and you can't. I do enjoy that the Packers are stuck because their quarterback is too good. Like, obviously, he's making it a bigger deal than that and wants out. But I, I do enjoy that, like, his way of getting back at the Packers is, yeah, I'm going to take you to a 13-3 and record in the NFC uh, Championship game. Eh, tough to be a Packer. Well, tough to be a Packer when that quarterback you get you know gets everyone all excited and then says, eh, I'm good, and then goes off and hosts Jeopardy and shows up and leaks little nuggets to Kenny Mayne. Like, Aaron Rodgers is sort of like that ex- that you keep hoping you won't have to see around anymore, but yet pops up in your social media and you keep running into in the store, except they're not really your ex yet, right? He's they keep there. stringing you along, <laughs> right? They keep there. like, there's someone who keeps calling you every once a month and is like, oh, well, you know, I was just thinking about you. No, you weren't. No, you weren't. You were out there cheating on me with Jeopardy. Stop it. Next question. The Oakland A's, or at least their president, are going to visit Portland, according to John Canzano. This is after visiting Las Vegas. They're going to take a trip to Portland. So two cities so far that the A's are either visiting or planning to visit in Vegas and Portland. Do you view that as more likely they move or more likely this is simply a leverage play? I'm really enjoying Dave Cable's free agency tour. Like this is uh, <laughs> this is really hilarious. Like a guy who is under contract to a city for another four years, going around like, I wonder who wants me here. It, like it's leverage play. Like Vegas and Portland are the two cities that have been leveraged more than any other, especially when it comes to Major League Baseball. So no, like, I don't I don't buy Portland. I buy Portland even less than I buy Vegas. <laughs> so John Canzano, who wrote the story about Portland. 
he compared Vegas to Portland and basically said that Las Vegas has the upper hand here if the A's do move. But he wrote this line about Carolyn Goodman. Las Vegas Mayor Carolyn Goodman often gets her way. And when it comes to sports teams, I don't think that could be further from the truth. Like, she never gets her way in. If she had her way, she'd have 17 sports teams playing in downtown Las Vegas. She has one, a minor league soccer team that just got outshot 41 to 10 over the weekend. But look, you can be outshot 41 to 10 and still win a game. Ask the Golden Knights. No, no, 39 to 14, not 41 oh, to 10. Big difference. Big, Big difference. difference. Right My apologies. There. Massive oh, difference. Oh, yes. I'm so glad to have yet another person who can't figure out that the Las Vegas that you know does not fall under Carolyn Goodman. Yeah. I, she I, is the mayor of a small portion of the Las Vegas Valley. It has nothing to do with Carolyn Goodman. It's irrelevant whether she gets her way or not. See, here's the thing. I don't uh, I don't blame people for not knowing that, for not knowing that the city limits of Las Vegas don't include the Strip, don't include most of this area. I just blame Carolyn Goodman for always trying to be the face of things and people assuming that she represents more than she actually does. Hmm. Tyler, that was a really interesting way to phrase that. It's as though you weren't just talking about sports teams. Great question. Oh, Ed's not here, but the Astros host the Dodgers today and tomorrow. I need Ed to be here so I can make fun of him. Um, but as as a Yankees fan, are you at all interested in Yankees or excuse me, in Astros Dodgers? Oh, absolutely. I'm interested in Astros Dodgers. Oh, for sure. Because the Dodgers are the team that is the most aggrieved of all of them and they're going to continue to feel aggrieved by it and so yeah i'm as interested as i'll ever be in a random may baseball game between two teams that i don't really care about are you disappointed it's in houston and not in la yeah of course because your fellow (laughs) astros fans have done a pretty good job of you know, riding the delusion train for quite a long time here. And I don't think that you'll have a lot of Dodgers fans making their way into the stadium, but you'll still have the Dodgers themselves. Joe Kelly's going to be there. Oh, Is he even going to pitch? He's only thrown like what? Seven innings this year. I'm just saying he's going to be there. <laughs> he'll, he'll exist around there. That's more than the A's can say about Mike fires, who has still not pitched against the Astros since uh, ratting them out for cheating. Oh, I'm sad. Listen, I'm sad about it. Do you know how much I want the Astros to light up Mike Fires in a game? Okay, listen, the Astros played a playoff series against the A's last year. Every pitcher that was on the roster was used for the A's except Mike Fires. They played them, I think, 10 times in the shortened season last year. Mike Fires never appeared against them. They've played them in three series now this year. And Mike Fires has been on the IL in two separate stints for all of the series against the Astros this year. Phenomenal well, job of hiding Mike Fires. Well, listen, Tyler, I mean, it, it's probably time that you as an Astros fan know what it's like to feel cheated. I have been cheated of lighting up my, of watching Mike Fires give up 10 runs to the Astros in one and a third. Yep, cheated. Next question. San Jose State's athletic director, Marie Tuit has been reassigned to a new role within the university. So the backstory here at San Jose State They are being investigated um, because a former athletic department employee was accused of inappropriately touching female student athletes. The former swimming and diving coach at San Jose State uh, apparently told the athletic department, told Marie Tuit back in 2009, they determined that there was no wrongdoing. 
Uh, since then, the swimming and diving coach was fired. The employee that was accused of this is no longer there. The swimming and diving coach is actually now suing San Jose State uh, for wrongful termination. Uh, but there's an investigation going on. We haven't had any announcement of like findings or what's come from that investigation other than that in the middle of it, the athletic director is now being reassigned from athletic director to a completely different role. You don't just get reassigned. Come on. <laughs> this is this is what happens in a public a setting instead parish. of getting fired. My favorite part about Marie Tuit, I don't know if you remember this story, but there was a story because she's had other problems where San Jose State student athletes have criticized her for not like caring about any sports teams besides the football team. And there was somebody in the athletic department that criticized her and she was quoted as saying, those who make attempts on life of the king aren't kept in the kingdom very long. Wow. I mean, did, did she watch some sort of wire knockoff? Like, <laughs> like at least get the quote right. Well, what sort of attempt to scrub one of the best quotes in TV history is that? It's terrible. You should be fired just for that. Can you imagine making that statement in a serious manner, like in a work environment? Because I can't. Of course, of course I can. This is college athletics. If think about it this way, if a college football coach had made that statement, we'd all be yucking it up right now. We would be loving it. Like, oh, yep, typical delusion for a college football coach. We're just a little, you know, turned around by the fact that it came from an athletic director. Man, you know, that's a great question. All right. In the WNBA, the Connecticut Sun coach, Kurt Miller, apologized for calling Liz Cambage. 300 pounds. He was suspended one game and fined $10,000. Now, I I don't know where exactly I should be going with this because I, I've got a few different things in my head with this. Number one, you have a man in power criticizing a woman's weight. Obviously, we know that's something you shouldn't be doing. Um, that's a massively negative thing. That's why Kurt Miller was fined and suspended. But we also have... Liz Cambage, and the reason that this became public, she went on Instagram and said that Kurt Miller called her 300 pounds, but while doing so, called Kurt Miller a little white man, and it seems counterproductive to try to eliminate body shaming by then body shaming. Also, Liz Cambage has been um, accused, she denied it, but accused of calling a player on the Chicago Sky two years ago a fat bleep on the court. But then you also have the context of this is sports, and maybe this is where I'm a misogynistic sports fan, but when I saw he called her 300 pounds trying to get a call from the referee, my first thought was we wouldn't blink an eye if an NBA coach after Zion Williamson fell to the floor and the ref called a foul said, come on ref, he's 300 pounds, he shouldn't go down that easy. I don't know what to do with all of that because I don't know what the right answer to this is. There are larger questions that you can ask about how women's athletics is covered and talked about versus men's athletics. As someone who broadcast play-by-play -play of women's college basketball for more than a decade, one of the things that I noticed, it didn't matter to me, I just noticed, is that when you got the roster for a men's basketball team and when you got the roster for a women's basketball team, one of the primary differences was that the men's roster always had the weight listed and the women's roster never had the weight listed. Does it matter? No, it really doesn't matter to me in the end. Like as a broadcaster, I don't need that information. 
but it's a clear distinction that you say to yourself, well, why, right? Are we working within an old social taboo of you never talk about a woman's weight? Well, obviously, Kurt Miller's situation goes well beyond that. You're shaming her. You're shaming her by saying 300 pounds. You would be shaming her by calling her a fat this or that, right? Like if you didn't use the number, if you just said, you know, she's huge, she's fat, she's this or that. Yeah, you you would be shaming her just the same just by talking about it in a different way. The other thing you didn't mention there in Liz Cambage's response was, uh, remind me again, what did she call the coach? Little white man. Little. And also... I'm not sure what the fact that Kurt Miller is white has to do with anything in this, right? It's the same way that if he were black, you would say, well, why does it matter that he's a little black man? Why does it matter that he's a little Hispanic man? None of this matters. She's firing back in kind, and none of this is the way we should be going about these things. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I, It's sports radio. I, I feel like I'm supposed to have a take. I don't have a take on it. I don't know exactly what the answer to this is because... Again, in the context of sports, I, I don't think we'd blink an eye about somebody saying that a player is big in a sport that being big is often an advantage. But at the same time, we're very clearly aware of why Kurt Miller was apologizing and ultimately punished for it because you shouldn't be criticizing Liz Cambage's weight. It's just, I don't know, it's a bizarre scenario at the end of the day. All right, well, come, it, go ahead. Just, just finish the thought. I think that there, the, the take for me is that whether it's a man or a woman, there is a big difference. If someone walked up to you on the street and said, hey, big guy, it would be a lot different than if someone walked up to you on the street and said, hey, you fat blank. <laughs> yes. I, yes. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> if there are any listeners out there and you recognize Tyler on the street, please go up to him and call him a fat blank. I will be very confused. <laughs> I will be very confused. I'll be a little self-conscious. I put on like 10 pounds during the pandemic. I'll be damn. You guys can really tell. All right. Coming up next. We'll jump into the Raiders and Julio Jones. What's going on, bro? Good evening. Man, nothing much. Got to go meet up with my brother. What's happening with you? Man, look. You want to go to the Cowboys, Julio? Or you want to stay in Atlanta? Oh, man. No, I'm out of there, man. Ed Grady is out today. He's on a plane to Minnesota. So Adam Candy is in with us today. Um, actually, before we get to the Raiders side of this, Adam, do you believe Julio Jones knew he was on TV yesterday? I don't know for sure, but if you made me guess, I would say, yeah, he did. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it certainly comes off as though he, what he didn't know, they just called him up and, and that would be a fun TV segment. But there is a part of me after seeing it yesterday and thinking about it that eh, they probably all knew. It was probably sort of a stage to make it look more like free flowing and look how loose we are as a show. Yeah, because ultimately all of these things when it comes to agents and trades of big players are carefully orchestrated. And I doubt we've reached this point of the Julio Jones situation without he and his agent having a conversation about what he wants out there and what he doesn't. Um, okay, so the story here with the Falcons and Julio Jones. Ian Rappaport reported yesterday that Julio Jones actually did request a trade earlier in the offseason, and that led to the Falcons trying to find a trade that made sense for them around the draft. Uh, the Falcons also have, like, zero cap space to sign their own draft picks at the moment, and trading away Julio Jones would free up more than enough money to sign their own draft picks. So that is the Falcons' uh side the Falcons reasoning 
for why Julio Jones would be available in a trade. Now, on the Raiders' side of this, uh, I know I've seen where the Raiders have the second best odds to trade for him, but Vic Tafer of The Athletic wrote yesterday, there are two good reasons why Gruden will pass on Julio Jones. One, making Jones fit under the salary cap would be tricky, which is true. The Raiders would have to do something fairly significant to make room for Julio Jones. But Vic also wrote, and more importantly, Gruden is said to be quite enamored at the Raiders' wide receiver depth. What is there to like about the Raiders' wide receiver depth that would make you not want Julio Jones? All right, so let's talk about which part is smoke and mirrors and which part is real here. (laughs) That part, to me, is maybe the Raiders for once in their ever-loving lives coming up with some real smoke and mirrors, right? It doesn't do anything for your leverage to say, Gruden looks at the wide receivers in his room and thinks none of these guys could catch a Nerf ball on the beach. Like, (laughs) it doesn't do anything to get Julio Jones into your locker room. But the part that isn't smoke and mirrors is that the Raiders have $2.5 million of effective cap space. Effective cap space being how much room are you going to have by the time you sign all of your draft picks? So, yeah, I don't think that the Raiders being listed at 5-1 to and being uh, tied with the Falcons as the second most likely destination behind the Patriots, who I also don't buy at four to one makes any sense whatsoever. Yeah. The the salary cap is tough because the the best way for the Raiders to make salary cap space right now is moving on from Derek Carr, but it would be incredibly stupid to acquire Julio Jones and then move on to Derek Carr to make room for him. You move on from Carr if you get Aaron Rodgers or something like that. So they'd have to, cut guys or so because the other the other problem is like Colt Miller and Yannick Ngakwe are two of the other highest paid players because they've got new deals they can't get rid of them without eating even more money in dead cap space so it, the, the salary cap it'd be hard to do you could figure it out but it'd be hard to do while not gutting some other part of your team I just I love the idea that one of the biggest weaknesses on the team is being hyped up as, oh, John Gruden is enamored with him, that John Gruden loves, that Henry Ruggs was like the most disappointing rookie wide receiver, and that he got John Brown and Willie Sneed to come in as the veteran presence to help lead Brian Edwards or something like that. I just love that idea that anybody would think that John Gruden is actually enamored with those guys. John Gruden is fine with what he has, and I think you can make it work with what's there. Do I think it's good? No. But Julio Jones at $22 million, not only for this year, but for the next two years, uh, is not the answer for this particular roster. Yeah, it would be. I don't even know if it would be, but it would be if they were like one piece away. Like if the Raiders roster, if the Raiders offense was exactly what it was, and we were talking about, well, they've got a top 10, top eight defense. And you're like, okay, they just need like one more offensive weapon to sort of put them into Super Bowl contention. Then it would make sense to try to go find a way to fit Julio Jones in. But if you trade for Julio Jones, it doesn't change the equation in the AFC West, right? You're not really any closer to catching the Chiefs. Um, so it, it maybe makes you a little bit more likely to make the playoffs as a wild card, but not even that much. And what, he's 32 years old? Like, it's not like Julio Jones is getting better. You're ultimately you're ultimately trading for and paying Julio Jones for what he has done for the Falcons and not what he would do for you. See, that's actually where I'll push back a little bit because Julio Jones' performance hasn't fallen off at all up to age 32. The health has been the problem, obviously. That's, that's where you start to say, are we paying him for the past? Because last year he only played nine games. But I know you love the pro football focus yards per route run stat as much as I do. He has been in the top five of pro football focus 
yards per route run every single year since 2013. He's led it four separate times. So the performance hasn't fallen off, but you can't look at this team and say they're one player away. You're absolutely right. Like you can't look at this offense and say, well, sure, add Julio Jones. Does that make Alex Leatherwood into a tackle? No, <laughs> it doesn't whatsoever. So, you know, if you look at this division and say, after watching that Aaron Rodgers interview last night with Kenny Mayne, do you say to yourself, the Packers are more likely to move on from Aaron Rodgers than they are to keep him? I think the answer is yes. Yeah. Where's the most likely destination? Denver makes more sense than anywhere else. So not only do you then have Mahomes to think about and the Kansas City roster, but then you got to look at Denver and say, in the short term, are you beating Denver either? And no, then you say, okay, I'm looking at this wide receiver room with Ruggs and Edwards and so on, and I'm going to just see what I've got to build for the next couple of years. Listen, if Aaron Rodgers goes to Denver, the Raiders need to go and do full rebuild mode immediately as soon as they possibly can. Trade their Khalil Mack for a first-round pick. I don't think they have one, but trade their Khalil Mack for a first-round pick. They have Malcolm Koontz. That's right, Koontz from Buffalo. Because remember, the last time they drafted yes. Nez Roger from Buffalo worked out pretty well. They traded him before his big contract came in. All right, coming up next, Kevin e. Martin hopefully answers the phone this time. Asia with the rebound now gives it to Gray. Gray goes inside to Liz Cambage and one. Liz draws the foul, got some deep position in the low block. Backed her way in, converted the bucket, and will go to the free throw line for another three-point play opportunity. Joining us now from 8 News Now is Kevin e. Martin. Uh, Kevin, e., I appreciate that you called us this time around. The last time we tried to have <laughs> Kevin e. on, she, I don't know what happened, but didn't th thought it was scheduled for 15 minutes later than we asked her to come on and just didn't answer the phone. So thanks for calling us instead. Yeah, I mean, I set like three alarms. I was ready to go. I was not missing this at all. You wouldn't have been able to handle it if you missed us again. Um, okay, so I, I need I need your help with this. Uh, the Liz Cambage, Kurt Miller situation, because we have a scenario where a coach, a man in power, criticizes a woman's weight, criticizes a woman's body. But at the same time, in the context of sports, I don't know that we would think anything of it if an NBA coach said the same exact thing about Zion Williams, Williamson weighing 300 pounds. So I'm curious, you played college basketball, you cover this, like where, where do you stand on the idea of a coach complaining to a ref and saying that Liz Cambage is 300 pounds in the context of sports and what we should be or should not be doing or talking about that? And we are going straight to the heat. Into okay. It. Okay. Um, no, I, uh, you know what? I, I can totally see where Liz is coming from. Um, the fact that she, you know, took to her Instagram story and, um, you know, wasn't exactly very happy with Kurt Miller after the comments. Um, there is, I totally see where um, most people might, you know, just be like, you know, he's talking about my weight. We're in we're in a, a, a basketball setting. It's not, you know, it's nothing to even think twice about. Um, but also, you know, I can also see where she's coming from. So it's definitely, a, you know, two different, two different sides here. Um, if someone called out my weight on the court, would it bother me? No. Um, I guess it's just each his own. Um, but, yeah, it's. When I saw that whole thing blow up, it was tough. And, I mean, Kurt Miller apologized. He, you know, said, you know, I shouldn't have said that. Um, 
so it's quite interesting. I honestly, I I didn't even know it happened. Um, and then obviously post game, everything kind of blew up. So it's quite interesting, I guess. Yeah, um, I wouldn't have, wouldn't have even thought twice about it. Like you said, a lot of people wouldn't have thought twice about it. But um, yeah, I guess it really, um, you know, it can offend some people. Kevin, in general, you've been covering sports for a while now, and you you obviously have the background of having played college sports, et cetera, et cetera. You are someone that I would I obviously would trust this opinion because you've been in it and you've covered it. Do you feel like women's sports are covered in a different way uh, than men's sports are covered? Um, to an extent, I think so. Yeah, definitely. Um. You know, we're, it, and it's kind of unfortunate. I mean, it, we're we're at the point where you know everyone is equality there, right across the board, and it extends into um, if if we're focusing obviously about Liz Cambage and the WMEA. I mean, they want equal treatment. They want you know they've been pushing Asia. Asia Wilson's been the forefront, the face of of getting equal pay and um, getting treated equally. And I mean, I think that's probably right now the what we can look at and say yeah sports are being covered differently as far as um across the board and if you're female or male or um you know just the coverage alone right i mean prime time um things like that so yeah i i can totally um i think that you know especially if we're talking about the WNBA. um is 100% covered differently than 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 their male counterpart, the NBA. What uh, what would you like to see us do differently? I mean, it's something that that we can actually do. How should we cover the WNBA better or differently or or the same as the way we cover the NBA and other men's sports? Right, um, and I and I and I don't think that there's a better right. Like I, I'm not trying to get on here and do like, yeah, we need to be better. We need to, you know. Um, men need to change the way they do this, or even women in general, how they cover. Um, you know, I think it's as a whole, and I think we're seeing that change. I think, um, you know, it's it's taking time, and we're seeing it get to that point um, where there ha- there's more respect and just, just a more of a spotlight, I guess, on the game itself, on the women's game. Um, and it's, it's coming internally through the players, Um you know, voicing that, you know, we don't have the same respect um, at all. Um, so, um, you know, it change, I, I think it's just, it's it's like a, like the bigger picture, I guess, if you could say, if, if that makes sense. No, of course, it makes, it makes perfect sense. And I think we also can go back to what happened during the different NCAA bubbles and the controversy that started over the, uh, I won't even call it different weight rooms because one of them was a weight room and <laughs> one of them was a, a tiny little rack of weights that wouldn't even look good in a regular hotel. So, yeah, we're obviously talking about these issues in a much different way. Um, and, and it feels to me like we have an opportunity in Las Vegas, you know, because we have a, a professional women's team here in the Las Vegas Aces to, you know, to put that into practice in terms of uh, how we do this. And we have something unique in terms of having an NFL owner who has now bought into the WNBA. I mean, do you think that will affect how, how we look at the Aces that an NFL owner, the most macho of sports, has bought into the Women's Professional Sports League here in town? Yeah, I would hope so, right? I mean, like you said, you have Mark Davis, who, 
you know, owns the Raiders and um, from day one has been a supporter of the Aces. Um, you know, he, he's been courtside at every single Aces game as a uh, home game. And um, I remember speaking with him season one and asking him about that. And he said, I got my love for the WNBA from my father, Al. He, um, he, was, he loved the, the women's game, and he really got me excited about it. And um, it really came as no surprise when um, that was announced that he had bought the Aces. Um, and I think you're spot on with that. Um, I think when people see that, you know, we have an owner of, of an NFL team that not only is a fan, right? Like, you can be a fan. You can show up. You can be courtside. You can cheer on the team. But he's invested. Like, he's invested money, a lot of money into a team. And, um, yeah, I think that it, we'll see it, you know, really help the game grow, especially here locally um, with football fans seeing their owners, at Raider fans seeing their owners saying, hey, this guy – you know, is putting his money where his mouth is. Uh, let's let's check this out. Like, you know, these women deserve the same respect, that, the same attention, the same enthusiasm that we're giving the Raiders. One other question on the Cam Beige Kurt Miller situation: How much different do you think it is? Because Cam Beige made this distinction. How much different do you think it is that it was Kurt Miller, a coach, saying it versus just another player and opponent that might have said that to Liz Cam Beige? Yeah, that's a great point. I think, um, and that entire, uh, I guess you could call it a rant or, you know, just her opinion. Um, I think she said protected abuse, which I'd never heard that phrase before. And I thought that was super interesting. Essentially, like, what if a player says that? I mean, you can go back, you know, back and forth. But as a coach, you can't touch them. You can't talk to them. I mean, that's a, you know, that's, that's complete, you know, they're off limits, essentially. Um, so, yeah, I think that totally changes the the outlook of this entire discussion. I mean, if it was a fellow a fellow t- a player um, on the court saying something, you know that's just that's just trash talk at the end of the day, right? you're always you're always talking back and forth in the paint, you know, at the free throw line, you're just always trying to get in your opponent's head. but um, yeah, I think there definitely was a line there. Um, that it came from a coach, definitely more shocking. Um, but, you know, kind of in the heat of the moment and in the game, you know, I, I, I didn't hear him say it. I don't know. I don't know if it was caught on tape. I haven't caught that much, so I don't know, like, you know, how he said it. But, um, I mean, if Liz took offense to it, then um, and, and it, she took the time to get on her Instagram and everything after the game, then clearly she was offended. Uh, Kevin, both you and I share a same favorite basketball player in Reggie Miller. Uh, Adam is a <laughs> Knicks fan, and I'm curious, do you, do you get uh, Reggie Miller vibes from what Trey Young did in Madison Square Garden in Game 1? Totally. Um, well, you know, you can't really – he was – if you know me, like, I'm like the Reggie Miller, like, he can do no wrong in my eyes. Um, so Reggie is always going to be a step above everyone. Like. <laughs> the Nick killer, the Nick killer himself. Um, so the eight points and 8.7 seconds against the Knicks uh, will never, you know, that type of stuff will never be touched, but uh, definitely was cool to watch that. Especially, I mean, Trey, what is in his second se- second season in the NBA? Yeah. He's, he's special and definitely vibes for sure. But, but never as close as what Reggie did to the Knicks. <laughs> See the, 
the masterful part of what Tyler just did is he knows I've pretty well tuned out him saying anything about <laughs> the old Pacers Knicks brawls from years ago. But then he goes and gets you to talk about it in this excited way and hopes that the knife will twist a little bit more. Here's the problem. My scar tissue is already built over. Like there's there's no way to hurt me anymore with this stuff because I already hurt myself. And Reggie Miller has already killed me over too many times, Kevin. Reggie Miller can do no wrong. How dare you? What, what about that uh, Roy Hibbert block in 2013? Is that uh, covered over with scar tissue or is that still fresh? That never meant anything. That oh, team please. wasn't going anywhere. Oh, what are you talking about? Oh. You think that like, you put it on Twitter. You think that play means so much more than it does. It's it's really kind of disappointing for someone who's so good at this that you are coming with Roy Hibbert blocking a shot. Like, it's, come on, man. It's you the last time you had a playoff team in the Knicks. Yeah, and it's not a playoff team that anyone thought was going anywhere. Well, that's what this one is, too. What do you mean? I know. So that's why I'm not worried about Trey Young. Connect the dots, man. Oh, you shouldn't be worried about Trey Young. Uh, so, Kevin, you are not going to name your next dog Trey, is what you're saying? No, but I was going to say, side note, I think we're like, as many as times as I've been on your show, We've brought up my dog like every single time, so I'm on board with that. And the fact that we just said Reggie's name like 20 times, oh boy, given me, he has given me the side eye. He's <laughs> even looking at me now. Like, we are we going for this walk? <laughs> every time we said the name, it was so. I'm glad we brought him up again. But yeah, that's <laughs> well. Tell tell Reggie he's welcome for the walk he's going to get because he heard his name so many times, and you're going to feel bad if you don't walk him. I know, right? Come yeah. on, guys. Well, she is Kevin e. Martin from 8 News Now. <laughs> Kevin, e., we appreciate it this morning. Always fun, guys. Thank you. Ah, the Knicks. I did miss the Knicks I, in the playoffs. Okay, but at the same time, bringing up Roy Hibbert, that's no, no one is like, no one thinks of Roy Hibbert and goes, oh, that hurt me. He sent the Knicks to eight years without going to the playoffs. He sent the Knicks to eight. Wow! Yes. Did you even watch? Did you even, you didn't even watch the series for God's sake? One sakes. play, Adam. One play. Did he fall down on it? This, this was this was pre Roy Hibbert fall. This was when Roy, Roy Hibbert was like the backbone of the best defense in the NBA for like four seasons, and then people realized, oh, we can shoot threes, and he can't run that fast, so we're just gonna do that. Like he was, they were legitimately the best defense in basketball for like four years. Because Roy you're Hibbert just jumped at, straight up in the air. You're coming at Adam with Roy Hibbert. Yeah. What else would I come at him with? I'm not going to tell you, but there are things you could <laughs> use that are way better. Yeah, but that's the most re- I mean, yeah, I could come at you with anything James Dolan has done in the last eight years. But Roy Hibbert's more fun than that. I love how it's still in the last eight years because, like, it's been that long that you've had a driver's license. It's amazing. <laughs> we got to go to break on that. We that need was, to really Coming up next, Luke, Luke Bergdandy joins the show. Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Green. We're checking in on the latest news from PropSwap, where smart sports bettors buy and sell sports bets. Go to PropSwap.com today and find the very best odds. Joining us now from PropSwap is Luke Pergdandy. And Luke, I'm I'm curious, how were Phil Mickelson tickets over the weekend on PropSwap? Yeah, we've got a few different stories from uh, from the 50-year-old lefty winning the PGA Championship. I'd say uh, the most fun one, a PropSwap customer bet $5 over at Circa at 280-to-1 odds. 
he sold it to a female customer. We don't do that very often, so very excited for her. Sold it to a female customer for $25, uh, middle of Thursday, right as, right as the first day of the tournament was starting. He's like, all right, I just want to get 25 bucks for this. She turned $25 into $1,300, almost a 50-to-1 winner on Phil Mickelson. All right, I got to question the five dollar guy. What what did he need the twenty five dollars so badly for? Right. What's hap- what's yeah, happening so we, there? <laughs> yeah, so we get asked that a lot. So you got to remember that people are now treat. This is like eBay in like the nineties, right? People are literally treating prop swap as like a side hustle. And this guy, this specific guy who turned five bucks into twenty five, he has hundreds of tickets up for sale at a given point in time. Okay. So to make five x on your money. You know, when they're still on the fifth hole of the first day, he's like, let me just take my 25 bucks and I'll go make way more tickets, you know, once the once Thursday was done. And that's that's exactly what he did. So he had, he had Phil and Rory and Brooks and, you know, you name it, hundreds of, of uh, tickets posted for sale. Okay. So, yeah, you have a bunch of $5 tickets. You sell enough of them for 20 bucks, and you'll get to that 1300 eventually, I guess. Um, yeah. Are people bailing on the Lakers at all. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, they got punched in the mouth. Um, and you know, it, in my opinion, like that wasn't, uh, that wasn't really a fluke. Like Phoenix looked at the better basketball team. And I think that was kind of evident with LeBron kind of crying of once Chris Paul boxed him out. And, you know, there was that scrap of the, in the fourth quarter, like, they, they were a little bit intimidated. I thought the Lakers were. So, um, yeah, we have both Phoenix Suns to win the NBA championship, Lakers to win the NBA championship. So the Lakers are they're about 6-1 to one right now in the market. We've been selling tickets at 8-1. to one. Okay. So that's another question we get is people are like, well, wait a minute. Like, why would someone ever sell their Lakers ticket at 8-1 to one odds when the market is 6-1? to one? The answer is they just want to get off the Lakers. Yeah. Like they've been riding a Lakers bet the entire season. They're like, okay, like I didn't like how that first game went. I, I will take whatever you can get me, prop Bob, to get me out of this Lakers future. So I get it. Like if you're if you're concerned and your ticket potentially goes to zero, you'll take whatever you can get. Yeah. Well, he is Luke Pergdandy from Prop Swap. Luke, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Tyler. So twenty five dollars off the five dollar ticket. That's got to hurt a little bit. All right. Adam, do you want to talk about Bill Foley's indoor football team and the potential names? There's absolutely nothing I would like to do more <laughs> for the next five minutes. So Mick Akers, 90 seconds. Mick Akers tweeted out um, trademarks that have been filed by a company owned by City National Arena. And those trademarks are Vegas Nighthawks, Vegas Neon Knights, and Vegas Nightmare. And those are, you know, logical conclusion. One of those could end up being the name of Bill Foley's indoor football team that's going to play in Henderson. My main problem with one of these names is Vegas Neon Knights because I don't believe you can name a team in a Henderson suburb Vegas Neon Knights because what, like, what are we talking about? The neon lights of the P.F. Changs down the street? You cannot be Neon Knights unless you're on the strip. You know what? You want to come for the Knicks? Come for the Knicks. You want to come for my neighborhood? We're going to have a different discussion. Because you are literally coming for my neighborhood where I walk my dog every day. We are neon 
from here to forever, baby. The Green Valley Ranch community, we are neon. That's who we that's who we are. I don't know what to do with that, Adam. That was I I kind of admire it, but it also sounded horrible. It sounded stupid, like one of the dumbest things I've ever heard you say. We are neon in the Green Valley Ranch community. Come Hell on. yeah. Oh. Nighthawks is good for an indoor football league. If it's got to have knights in it, let it be nightmare. Neon.